So I'm going to start today's sermon with a little contest. I'm going to read a quote, and I want to see a hand go up if you think you know who preached these words. First clue, it's not Scott Dudley. Okay, here we go. Every now and then, I guess we all think realistically about life's common denominator. That's something we call death. And every now and then, I think about my own death, and I think about my own funeral, and every now and then, I ask myself, what is it that I would want said? If any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not too long. And every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Here come some big clues here. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. Anybody getting a guess who this might be? Okay. This is from a sermon titled, The Drum Major. Does that clue help? Parts of it are written on this guy's uh, monument on his grave. The preacher is someone we would probably all call great in both earthly influence and kingdom power. How about if I tell you this was in the 60s? Martin Luther King Jr. That's it. He preached on today's topic, and he outlined the way he hoped he'd be remembered a couple of months before his assassination. He said, I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Martin Luther King Jr. captures this contrast between the world's view of greatness, being recognized for one's accomplishments, prestigious degrees, awards, career, and Jesus' view of being great in God's kingdom by following Jesus and offering one's life for others. We are in a sermon series called None of the Above, in which we are exploring the uniqueness of Jesus. Today we're looking at the way Jesus redefines greatness and how we can live according to that new view. Jesus' definition of greatness is radically different from our cultures. Jesus embodies this definition as the Messiah whose greatest healing will be that of his own crucifixion and rising. There were, there, it was unthinkable. Yet when Jesus begins to reveal these truths to his disciples, they can't take it in. Jesus teaches about his death and resurrection and about two, true greatness three times in Mark's gospel. These stories are actually in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And Mark, we think, is the oldest gospel. And it's in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Each time, Jesus tries to communicate, to predict his death and resurrection. And each time, the disciples are dumbfounded by Jesus' unique, none-of-the-above descriptions of his role as Messiah. 
First in chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus reveals his identity as the suffering servant, Messiah, who will be rejected, killed, and rise after three days. And it is too much for the disciples. It's as if a quarterback got the football team in the huddle and said, I'm going to intentionally throw only interceptions and make sure we lose the game. Peter even takes Jesus aside and said, hey, don't talk that way. You're making it sound like you're going to lose. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're talking about the things of man, not the things of God. So Jesus calls the crowd together, and he expands the teaching this way. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What is all this talk about suffering, death, and losing life to save it? This is an upside-down, inside-out kind of teaching. It's not the kind of headlines of glory the disciples are expecting. How about us? Are we tempted to think that following Jesus means merely a few kind of minor adjustments to our ordinary lives? Sometimes even those little adjustments can lead to an entirely new trajectory in life. That's what happened to a girl named Katie Davis when she was still a teenager. Her everyday life became a kingdom adventure. She had the courage to loosen her grip on her life plan and follow Jesus into what seems to me a truly great life. Katie was just 18 when she first visited Uganda and taught kindergarten at an orphanage. Her heart was so broken by the situation in Uganda that she did what the average American teenager could probably hardly imagine. She gave up her middle-class life, college, admission, a boyfriend, and she moved to Uganda to establish a nonprofit that not only provides funding for education but gives kids three meals a day, medical care, and spiritual discipleship. She's serving the poorest of the poor. Thirteen orphaned or abandoned girls now call her mom. Each week her ministry feeds more than 1,600 kids. Katie says, people tell me I'm brave, strong, that I do a good job. Well, here's the truth of it. I'm really not that brave or strong. And I'm not doing anything spectacular. I'm just doing what God calls me to do as his follower. Feed his sheep. Do unto the least of his people. She's not even 25 years old, and yet the scope of her influence is vast. Society would say she should have been selecting a major at college and documenting her life on Facebook. Instead, It was her writings that inspired this sermon title. As she reflects on her ministry, she says, I am one of his favorites, one of God's favorites, lavished with love. How would life change if we thought of each other as such? If each person that approached us we treated as beloved by God and one of God's favorite people? Like the woman I bought beads from in the slum today or the mother with alcoholism, or the grandmother who saw her granddaughter miraculously healed last week. And I smiled 
at the joy that I knew God found in her, one of his favorites. Did Katie lose her life or save it? Did she take up a cross or did she receive the honor of being Jesus' real presence to people in need? You can spend a lifetime striving for greatness, but in God's eyes, because of Jesus, you are already great. Each one of us are one of God's favorites. Do you want to be great in God's kingdom? Follow Jesus. Okay, so far so good, but Jesus' teaching is so unexpected, so unlike the kingdom of glory the disciples were anticipating, they can't conceive of this new view, losing life to gain it, a Messiah who suffers. These seemingly dense disciples don't understand, and yet they don't ask questions. The scripture notes that. It's sort of an interesting comment. Why don't they ask questions if they don't get it? The scripture says, because they're too afraid. What are they afraid of? Afraid of the answer? Afraid of looking dumb? Remember, the disciples can't just turn on the TV and hang out to be distracted. So what do they do instead of seeking answers? Well, as they're walking along, they begin to argue, kind of getting the idea, okay, if Jesus is going to be in glory, well, then which one of us is the greatest? Like, which one of us is, gonna, is he going to favor the most? And then when they're reunited with Jesus, he asks, what were you arguing about? Jesus uses the question to hold up a mirror to the disciples so that they can see themselves. When he asks the question, there's silence. I can sort of picture the apostles like looking down, shuffling their feet like, I don't want to tell them what we're talking about. This is that awkward silence of guilt. If you're a parent, sometimes you might walk in the room and suddenly the computer screen that your child was looking at comes up blank. And there's just a little suspicion that something might have been going on. Jesus has just foretold of the greatest moment of lowliness and greatness in the course of human history. A God who suffers and dies and who overcomes death. And the disciples are focused on who's the most popular? Really? So Jesus has them all huddle up, and this is what rabbis would do when they really wanted to give an important lesson. They would sit down, they would invite everyone to sit down, and he, he starts with a question. So you want to be great? It's like, okay, it's no problem that you want to be great. It's part of our human nature. He doesn't take away or minimize their longing for greatness or for significance or ours. It's part of who we are. But Jesus says, if you want to be great, here's how then follow me. Do as I do. Learn to serve others. Learn to welcome even insignificant ones. Like, well, he takes a little child. And maybe for us that seems kind of normal, like there were kids around, not so in that day. The, the kids wouldn't have been part of this interaction. And commentators wonder, was this the child of a servant who had nowhere else to be and was just kind of hanging out at the edge? He takes the child and he puts, them in the, puts the child in the middle and he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children welcomes me. In the ancient world, children had no status at all. Society discounted them. There was no Toys R Us. 
Perhaps because the survival rate was so low, some cultures would not even give children names until they were eight or nine years old. Historians note that childless couples were more likely to adopt an adult slave than a small child. Why? Because the role of children was to take care of their parents in their old age. Why not have an adult? But Jesus puts his arm around this child, even kind of picks this child up in his lap and says, if you want to be great, welcome little ones like this. Because when you do, you welcome me. And not only me, but the one who sent me. Here he goes again with this upside down, inside out definition of greatness. And here's a story from someone who gets it. This woman from our church was in a time of crisis, and she sought out a pastor to help. She received encouragement in her weakness, and she was reminded that even in the midst of her terrible circumstances, she was still one of God's favorite and free to serve. She thought maybe she could bake cookies or be a greeter, but then she ran into Laura Coratiello in Children's Ministries. Laura runs our Big Buddies program here on Sunday mornings. And Laura told this woman that she was in need of a Sunday school teacher for a few young women with special needs. The woman writes her story, and in it she literally writes, gulp. You see, she thought she wasn't fit for such an assignment. Laura told her she should just try it, and if it didn't work out, that was okay. In the end, this woman became a Sunday school teacher to one special girl. The teacher was never sure her student understood the Bible lessons. Then one day, they talked about families, about how Jesus was born into a family just like we are, and that because of Jesus and our faith, we are all one family. The girl listened without reaction, and just as she was about to leave, the girl turned and said to her teacher, I love you. We're family, right? She got it. She really did understand. This follower of Jesus writes, if there had been a table set up with volunteer activities and a sign-up list, the position I now have would never have been one I volunteered for. What, I, what did I know about being a Sunday school teacher, much less a teacher to challenged individuals? It was so far out of my comfort zone that putting my name on that list would never have happened. I bake cookies and smile, remember? My time with my student has taught me so much and filled me with such joy. I came to realize that God didn't need me to partner with her. He doesn't need anything. He wanted me there. I'm just glad that I had the good sense to accept his invitation. If this story sounds at all like you, or maybe someone sitting next to you, call Laura, because I know there's a special boy looking for a mentor. I met his dad last week, and I know how much it would mean to that dad to be able to go to worship and have someone with his son on Sundays, someone who thinks maybe all they have to offer is a big smile and a cuddly lap. Do you want to be great in God's kingdom? Follow Jesus. Trust the Holy Spirit. Are you getting this idea that Jesus' call to greatness is one, a call to be stretched out of your comfort zone and into the life that Jesus gives us? By chapter 10, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were starting to get it. 
at least by the third time that Jesus brings up his suffering, dying, and resurrection, they understand that Jesus is going to be in glory. So they come to him and request to be given prime seats. Let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in your glory. And in his reply, Jesus communicates again this none of the above view of greatness for the third time. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had to have been disappointed that the disciples were so preoccupied with their own status. That's the trouble with understanding half the message. The half they wanted to understand, that part about glory. If Jesus is Messiah, then, well, we're royalty in waiting. Jesus is betrayed even in the way they argue. It's ironically evident that as the disciples are discussing their own greatness, it's the absolute antithesis of his self-sacrificing gift on the cross. Do you want to be great in God's kingdom? Follow Jesus. Trust the Holy Spirit. Serve others as God's favorites. Jesus is inviting us into greatness kingdom style. Will you say yes to that invitation? There's a blogging challenge that happened in October to write for 31 days about some kind of change. One follower of Jesus used this opportunity to write about 31 days to change the world. As we close today, I hope you'll be challenged by Jesus' definition of greatness in these words and images. Those who change the world are ordinary people who have the courage to think different. We may start out in our small towns intimidated by this big world, but we have to know that there are words only we can say. Comfort only we can offer. Art only we can make. Still we worry and we hide in our small rooms of fear afraid what it might mean to live on the other side. But rest well, because there's work to do before we can open the door. The work of receiving grace, knowing that we're loved, becoming patient, being encouraged. When you stand at the doorway to the world, there are things you need to know before you move. Know your passion. Any influence you have will flow from this. Know your limits, because your weakness is actually your gift. Know what makes you cry, because your tears carry evidence of where your heart beats strong. Know your choices, because you may not change your circumstance, but you can still change the world. Know your brokenness, because healing only comes after wounds. Know how to worship, because every small moment of life boasts a breath that comes from God. Find your brave yes. Fight for your strong no. Learn how to suffer, to be small, to be quiet. Use names with love. 
Use words with conviction. Be willing not only to look, but to see. Not only to hear, but to listen. And if we are a trusting and believing people, we will know that change doesn't always happen fast. We need to stand back a little and let things grow. Do you not yet believe you're one of God's favorite? That you are destined to be great in God's kingdom? Let me stand here today before you and tell you, yes, you are one of God's favorite. When you follow Jesus, you are already great in God's kingdom. Please pray with me. Mighty God, you are a none of the above kind of God. We try to box you in. We try to say that you're A, B, C, D, but actually you are E. You are something else altogether. And so, God, I ask that you would so expand our minds and our hearts that we would have this gift of seeing people as your favorites. Lord, of seeing the ones who seem insignificant to us as the ones who are of most value to you. God, we ask that you would help us to so organize our lives that we have room to serve, that we are not filling our schedule and our thoughts with our own greatness, but rather with how we might lift up your name. Lord, we surrender our hopes to you that the things that we dream of would be the things that you hope for. God, change us into the world changers that you designed us to be as your followers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.